Welcome to this episode of the Fraser Ballander Institute podcast. My name is Stuart McIntyre, and I'm joined today by my colleagues, Mary Spouge and David Iser. We're recording this podcast the day after Chancellor Rishi Sunak delivered his latest budget, and associated with that was updated forecasts for the UK economic and fiscal outlook produced by the Office for Budget Responsibility. In this podcast, we're going to look in more detail at what the headlines in the budget were, what these mean for Scotland, and pick out a small number of issues that stood out for us in the broader policy landscape beyond the headline fiscal arguments and economic outlook debates that are going on. Three longer-term issues covering levelling up, huge policy issue in the last couple of years, COP, of course, as, as it kicks off next week, and finally, what's been happening to universal credit and more generally in social security. So if I kick things off perhaps with Mary, and just ask Mary to give us an overview of the key economic headlines from yesterday's budget, before going to David on what this means for the fiscal outlook in the UK. Yeah, thanks, Stuart. So, as broadly expected, um, the um, the Office for Budget Responsibility forecasts were much more positive than they'd been in March. Uh, the growth that we've seen in the economy um, throughout the first half of the year, um, the positive vaccination rollout, um, all of these things have been cited um, in the OBR's document as the sort of reasons for why they're they're <laughs> reasons to be optimistic um, about about the growth in the economy. It's, it's worth saying as well that they also think that the longer term scarring impact of the pandemic is less than they previously forecast. Um, so they now expect the economy to be 2% smaller in the long run um, rather than, than 3%. And that's significantly less than, for example, the financial crisis um, or um, even the impacts of, of, of Brexit. So um, I guess you could think of it that in terms of the long-term impact on the economy, the OBR thinks that um, <laughs> uh, we've, we've got off relatively lightly, I suppose, um, compared to previous crises and compared to what was maybe feared at the start of the pandemic. On unemployment, they also think that that'll top out at around five and a quarter percent. And they were saying about six and a half percent in March. And just to put that into context, you know, that's around a half a million people in the UK. Uh, less, uh, which he'll be sort of looking for work. So that's that's quite positive. Um, on the, the less positive side of things there, um, as, as many commentators are very concerned about inflation, they're thinking now that um, in their official forecast that it'll top out around 4.5% in the second quarter of 2022 before returning fairly quickly to the Bank of England's 2% target. However, they make it clear in their document that um, that they think a lot of things have happened since they closed their forecast, um, you know, a few weeks ago, um, and that a lot of inflationary pressures have, have kind of turned out to be worse than they expected. So they now think that there are a lot of risks to the upside on inflation, so that they think it might actually top out above 5%. Um, and interestingly, they produced lots of scenarios in their document about what that might mean for various things in the economy, including the potential of the economy to grow, wage growth, the, the labour market and also what it might mean for living standards. So although um, there's quite a lot of positivity around, um, I think there's a recognition in there that 
um, there's a lot of unknowns about what is going to happen with inflation and therefore what sort of impact that that will have on, on living standards. Yeah, I guess that was a key point. If we reflect back on the OBR's forecast post the global financial crisis, one of the big messages that came out of that was the OBR continually forecasts a return to trend productivity growth for the UK and the forecasts and therefore the fiscal outlook was all underpinned by that. Is that, do you think that heightened uncertainty right now as we emerge from the pandemic might mean that future fiscal events see, um, let's just say, a less positive um, outlook than we've, we've seen yesterday? And the implication of that, of course, for spending. You know, Rishi Sunak spent a lot of money yesterday. Um, how much of that might have to be tapered back, do you think, if um, actually some of these uncertainties come to, to, to pass? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because obviously um, Rishi Sunak also set out, um, although it's still to be voted on by Parliament, a new kind of set of fiscal rules that um, he's now going to abide by. Um, but... Um, it's clear from looking through the detail that um, whilst at the moment he's meeting these new fiscal rules that he set himself, um, that he doesn't have a lot of headroom. So, for example, if some of these um, concerns tend to, you know, are going to materialise over the next few months before the OBR produce their next forecast, um, you know, it might be that um, he doesn't have the headroom that he was expecting to meet his own fiscal rules. And that's perfectly possible because obviously all of this improvement in the outlook for the economy feeds through to the outlook for taxes. Um, and, and it's quite that's a very important determinant of how much money is going to be coming into the coffers to be able to spend. So I think it's a, it's a really good point that um, he, he's not left himself a lot of room for manoeuvre if he still wants to meet his fiscal rules. So if the OBR... Um, revised down their forecasts in March, for example, that might leave them in a kind of quite difficult position. Yeah, I, I think that brings us quite nicely actually to um, thinking a bit more about the key headline fiscal headlines coming out of the budget yesterday. And maybe bring David in here and just, if you just give us a, a quick overview of both for individuals, but also for the overall fiscal position, what key messages from Rishi Sunak yesterday were? Uh, well, I mean, as, as, as Mary has said, you know, the, the um, improvement in the economic outlook was really pretty material to the announcements yesterday. So the economic outlook over the last few months has improved since the last budget in March, but the longer term outlook uh, has also improved since March. And those improvements actually delivered Rishi Sunak an improvement in his overall uh, fiscal position of about 140 billion pounds over the next five years. Uh, and basically what he decided to do is spend half of that. So to, to increase spending by 70 billion over the next five years relative to the plans that were previously in place. So the big question going into the budget yesterday from, from, from the perspective of uh, departmental spending, spending on day-to-day -day public services was, would Rishi Sunak increase the size of his planned departmental spending envelope next year and the year after and the year after that, relative to the plans that he'd set out just barely a month ago in September? And the answer to that was, yes, he did increase those spending plans and he increased them actually by quite a lot, particularly next year. 
So he, what he did yesterday was he, he announced increases in UK departmental spending next year of about 25 billion relative to what he'd set out in September. And of course, in September, he'd announced increases of 15 billion on, on health and social care. So we're now in a position where public spending next year will be quite a lot higher than was planned pre-pandemic. Whereas before yesterday, we were, we were in this position where we were saying, well, you know, spending next year is on, on track to be actually no higher than was planned before the pandemic hit. That's not only the case, there's lots of additional resources in there now uh, to support uh, public services in the recovery from the pandemic. Of course, as we I think, uh, hopefully everyone who listens to this podcast knows, the overall fiscal envelope as set out by the UK government still has a key role in setting the budgets for the devolved administrations, even with the evolution of fiscal powers and, and the fiscal framework. So I guess the obvious next question is, what does all this mean for the upcoming Scottish budget rounds, and in particular, the resources available to the Finance Secretary, um, Kate Forbes, as, as she pulls the budget together later this year? Well, the the outlook for next year for 2022-23 now looks substantially better following yesterday's budget than it did um, previously. Uh, those those increases in spending by announced by Rishi Sunak, together with cuts to uh, business rates in England, um, which also generate consequentials for the Scottish budget. They all feed through to the Scottish block grant via the Barnet formula. And so what the Chancellor uh, is now able to say, and he, and he has said this, is that the Scottish uh, resource block grant next year in 22-23 is going to be substantially higher than it was in 2019-20, before the pandemic, it's going to be about 12-13% higher than it was in 2019-20 and it's going to be higher uh, than at any time since uh, devolution outside of 2021-22 and the year before that 2020-21 when of course we had the pandemic so in normal times if you like the Scottish block grant uh, next year is on course to be higher than at any point since devolution. Yeah, I, I, again, I, I suspect we all remember um, the debates, if we can call them that, about um, Scotland's budget over the last five, six years, where people have been making apparently contradictory arguments, but based on different baselines. Um, and it's clear, I think, after yesterday that that pattern is going to continue with each side picking the baseline that best suits their argument. So I'm sure we all look forward to that. Um, Mary, maybe just to touch on if that's the overall envelope, obviously a lot, big chunk of the, the, the Scottish budget has been and continues to be in health. We've obviously got um, national care service um, plans uh, coming down the line as well. What might we see in terms of pressures within the budget that's announced later this year, given the legacy of COVID and in particular uplifts in spending and demand in the healthcare system? Yeah, there's likely to be a number of pressures. Um, obviously, a lot of the money that's spent on public services in Scotland is is on the wages of public sector workers, and um, you know, I think we 
you know, the Chancellor yesterday obviously talked about um, public sector pay policy, going back to more, you know, normal um, ways of working in terms of the sort of bargaining that's done. Um, some of that will be relevant for public sector workers in Scotland, depending on the way that the bargaining is done across the UK. Some of it will be um, in the gift within the Scot of the Scottish government to decide what the, the policy is. So there's likely to be a lot of pressure on the Scottish government to have a a relatively generous public sector pay settlement, which will will probably um, mean that there's quite a lot of pressure on the budget from from that. There's also um, obviously um, very important statutory targets that the government has to meet, both on climate change, which we'll maybe come back to, but also on child poverty. Um, and so some of the new social security powers that have been devolved to the Scottish government, you know, they've they've introduced a new Scottish child payment. There's, there's a commitment to double that by the end of the parliament, but there's a lot of pressure for, for them to do so more quickly. Um, and, um, you know, there's also the, the new adult disability payment, which is going to be more, more generous than um, the comparator benefit um, in, in the rest of the UK PIP um, in, in terms of overall spending levels. So, you know, there are a number of pressures that are likely to um, come to bear on the Scottish budget over the next few years, which may sort of eat up a lot of this additional headroom that perhaps they've been given. Obviously, as you say, the block grant that's um, given to the Scottish um, Parliament by Westminster um, is, a, is the major component of the budget, but we also have to wait for um, the income tax forecasts um, and, and all devolved tax forecasts that come alongside the budget to really understand completely what the what the entire envelope will be but we did have a set of quite recent forecasts from the Scottish Fiscal Commission which gives us a fairly good idea um, of what the overspend, overall spending envelope is likely to be for the for the Scottish budget. It's an interesting point you bring up um, the devolution of social security powers probably one of the most picked up on elements of the budget yesterday was the changes that were brought forward to universal credit after quite a lot of controversy about the removal of the £20 a week uplift that had been brought in um, through the pandemic. And David, could you perhaps just summarise what that change is that was announced yesterday and what that means for different types of universal credit claimants, including those um, who are currently working? The, the, the changes announced yesterday on universal credit are actually quite significant. Um, it's certainly in a normal in a normal budget, we would think of them as being pretty significant, um, although they, they didn't necessarily feel as significant uh, as they might normally have done yesterday because they, they come on the back of the uh, removal of the £20 a week uplift to, to universal credit that was in place during the pandemic. So the, the changes to universal credit that were announced yesterday, there were basically two things. The work allowance has been increased. So people who are on universal credit but in work can earn more before their universal credit uh, is withdrawn. And also the taper rate was reduced. So that means the rate at which people in works uh, uh, universal credit is withdrawn is, is now um, less steep. Uh, it's, it's not withdrawn as quickly uh, as their incomes increase. So these changes uh, result in uh, higher incomes for those people who are on universal credit and uh, in work. Um, and they will also bring uh, some additional claimants into universal credit who aren't currently eligible for it. Um, but of course, 
the change won't do anything to increase the incomes of households who are on universal credit but aren't in work. Um, so uh, probably around uh, three quarters of claimants who are um, currently on universal credit will be um, worse off as a result of the removal of the uh, temporary uplift, um, uh, notwithstanding this, uh, th th this increase announced yesterday. In other words, the changes announced yesterday, they're welcome, but they're not sufficient to undo the impacts of the withdrawal of the £20 a week uplift for, for most universal credit claimants. Thanks, David. Yeah, I, I suspect this is also going to be an issue that's going to frame um, a good chunk of the um, debate around the Scottish budget, particularly with the devolution of, of social security powers. Um, uh, yeah, because one of the really interesting things is obviously is you see a passport benefit. So, you know, in essence, it, it helps determine eligibility for, for some of the, the devolved benefits, including the Scottish child payment. Um, and, you know, it's, it's relevant to carers allowance as well. So the, the fact you're eligible for UC can mean you're eligible for other things. Um, so obviously um, this essentially is ex expanding the eligibility for that. So it'll be interesting to see in the forecasts that are produced alongside the Scottish budget what impact that um, decision has on the cost of a devolved benefit which raises a kind of interesting discussion, I think, um, about the decisions that Westminster can make um, about UC, which then has these direct impacts on, on the expenditure on devolved benefits. Yeah, you, you have me think of that uh, dreaded phrase, um, no detriment, um, but let's not go there. Um, one of the other, just to pivot away from Social Security to another big picture um, hot button issue, over the last couple of years politically has been um, the UK government's levelling up agenda. And we're starting and have done through 2021 to see a bit more of the detail that underpins that proposal. I, I don't think we're yet clear what actually levelling up means in, in any sort of great detail, but we're starting to see the policy underpinnings of this and in particular spending announcements that are being badged as part of the UK government's commitment to levelling up. We saw yesterday a whole series of spending announcements. Um, we also saw opposition politicians point out that um, the UK government had invested in some other things or not invested in them in Scotland, in particular in carbon capture and storage, and that this was somehow failing on the levelling up agenda. So maybe bring Marion in this. And what's your take on what yesterday told us about the UK's levelling up agenda and what we can expect perhaps through the next year or so? Yeah, I suppose there's kind of two separate things here that, that was, was announced yesterday. And, and one's a continuation of a theme that's been done since um, levelling up was first coined as a key um, policy phrase by the UK government. And that's to corral a number of different initiatives under the banner of levelling up and to try and demonstrate um, the spending that's happening in all parts of the UK, including the devolved nations, but also in the, in the north of England and things like that. So, you know, there's a lot of, of um, material that's been produced alongside the budget. There's a regions and nations fact sheet, which corrals a number of different initiatives um, under this banner to say, this is what we're spending. These are the things we're focusing on to try and 
um, reduce inequalities in the UK and level up the country. As you say, not really defined what that means. Is it, is it about these geographic differences? Is it about reducing inequalities within regions? Is it about different types of households and so on? Um, so there, there's that. Um, the second thing, which is more new, I suppose, is that they have announced the projects that will be funded um, in the first tranche of allocations from the actual levelling up fund, which uh, local authorities were bidding for earlier in the summer. So this is a fund that local authorities across the UK can bid for. Um, and um, earlier in the year, local authorities were kind of prioritised according to need um, on a bunch of different indicators. But there was a long process gone through by local authorities to bid for this money and, and, and the, the, the projects that have been chosen in this first round have been announced. So there's eight projects in Scotland that have been funded from this first lot of the fund, um, totaling £172 million. And the Chancellor was keen to say that, that was, you know, higher than the sort of Barnet share. Um, so, um, and, and, and similar in Wales and Northern Ireland. Um, so there's quite an interesting collection of projects um, from the redevelopment of Inverness Castle um, to remodelling the Artisan Shopping Centre in Western Bartonshire to... Um, um, upgrading a roundabout in Falkirk. So there's a this is kind of interesting uh, bag of policy um, uh, interventions here on infrastructure that this money is going to be funding. Um, and I suppose um, critics of this might say, you know, how is this a sort of strategic um, vision for how we level up the country, this way of funding projects? Um, but it does kind of set the tone for this sort of direct intervention by the UK government in, in devolved areas of spend, um, you know, um, in the future. And it will be interesting to see how this, this sort of feeds through to the new UK Shared Prosperity Fund, which is more overtly um, to replace EU structural funding um, that, that was sort of received in the past from the EU um, and whether they sort of continue down this road in terms of sort of challenge fund style local authority bids for particular projects or if it sort of um, is a sort of a different strategies employed in order to distribute these funds across the country. Yeah, I, I guess there's an interesting um, focus among the projects being selected, which you know, in the context of a budget delivered the week before COP, if you look at a number of projects that are being funded through this, it's interesting the number of them that are aimed at more traditional transportation improvements. I think there's a big question over whether or not these sorts of transportation improvements actually generate significant economic impact, but even just in terms of the symbolism the week before Glasgow hopes cop, uh, holds uh, host COP26. We also saw the announcements of um, reductions in, in air passenger duty, which was explicitly by the Chancellor partly linked into his union connectivity um, strategy. So could you maybe just summarise for us, Mike, what that headline message was um, on air passenger duty yesterday and also um, just recap briefly on the, the fact that air passenger was supposed by this point to have been devolved to the Scottish Parliament. Yeah, sure. I mean, just on the, on the, the bigger picture on, on climate change and, and the fact that COP starts next week, um, this budget, um, the commentators I was listening to certainly, it was widely trailed to be 
um, which have a heavy focus on the green economy um, and um, dealing with climate change and the opportunities that might bring in terms of economic growth and investment. Um, and I think that um, <laughs> by all accounts, um, it, it was it, there was less of that content than was expected, um, and instead there was this you know you could see um, kind of interesting uh, move to cut air passenger duty, and um, so there was this this having of, of domestic air passenger duty, so flights within the UK, um, whereas uh, long haul flights um, had an increase in air passenger duty over a certain amount, um, so. Um, so quite an interesting tactic, given that COP starts next week, and obviously there has been some criticisms from from those in, um, who are more minded to look at, at greener policies. But yeah, it's a good point because obviously um, APD was supposed to be devolved and become air departure tax in Scotland uh, through the Scotland Act 2016. Um, it never actually has happened. Um, the reason for that is because um, of a state aid issue, essentially, um, which meant that there's a sort of an allowance for flights between the Highlands and Islands, um, and um, that wouldn't be allowed under the state aid rules um, if it became part of a new tax. So there was a lot of wrangling between the Scottish government and the UK government about how to kind of deal with the state aid issue. Obviously, we've now left the EU, um, so there are potentials for us to look again at how this could be devolved. Uh, but obviously it currently isn't, so therefore this cut um, will take place in Scotland. Now originally, um, when they were looking to devolve um, air passenger duty, the Scottish government were keen to cut it also, but they ditched that policy, um, you know, because of, of the wider climate change issues that um, they want to tackle. Um, so, but it will now be cut um, because it's not yet devolved. So it is kind of an interesting story about, about devolution. Um, but I think, um, as I say, there was widespread kind of quite surprise, I suppose, about the lack of um, um, climate change talk and um, green economy talk that was in the budget yesterday. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess we may hear more in the next um, week or so from UK government about their wider objectives, but it, it was, I think, surprising all around that we didn't hear more about that. But... I guess pivoting to the upcoming Scottish budget debate, we can call it that, this will be the first Scottish government budget that is part of the SNP Scottish Green um, Pact um, or, or, or arrangement. So I guess in that sort of context, David, is there anything, is there anything you're particularly expecting to see or um, not see in the upcoming um, budget rounds? And, you know, as, as we reflect on, so waiting for all the details of the block grant adjustments, but we, we know the general shape of the overall budget. We know what was agreed in the programme for government back in September. Obviously, the announcements around APD yesterday may well reignite debates about actually taking on that developer. Are there, are there any... Um, are there any key things to look out for from your perspective in the upcoming Scottish budget um, debate? Well, I mean, I think as, as um, we've already talked about a bit, there are um, some substantial commitments that have been that have been uh, made. It was looking before yesterday's uh, UK budget. It was the, the, the sort of position for, if you like, unprotected parts of the Scottish budget was looking really pretty tight 
um, because it, it really did look like health and social care, plus various other specific commitments that Mary touched on earlier, were going to account for the, the bulk of um, spending increases next year. Um, the announcements yesterday do uh, make some of those challenges in theory a little less acute. Uh, that should be good news for some of those unprotected um, portfolios, but it's still not going to be um, uh, a sort of uh, um, a bonanza budget because as Kate Forbes has pointed out, although this is going to be the highest uh, Scottish resource budget in normal times, the budget will still be lower next year than it has been uh, this year, given that uh, the sort of uh, four and a half, almost five billion, in fact, of COVID specific funding that the government's received this year will will drop out next year. So they'll, th th there are still going to be big challenges there. In terms of the climate stuff that you mentioned, I mean, a lot of the activity there doesn't actually come through the resource budget. The big, the big spending stuff actually comes through the capital budget in terms of improving energy efficiency of homes and public buildings and transport and so on. And the outlook for the, for the capital budget um, is uh, better than it is for the resource budget. There are probably fewer constraints there. So there is, there is scope to do more. And um, we would expect, um, I think, that uh, climate change uh, uh, activities will be, a, will be a focus of the, the new announcements. Um, and I think that would have been the case um, regardless of the, the involvement in, in the Greens in government, but uh, that, that may be strengthened uh, further uh, as a result of um, the, the, the Greens being in government. So, uh, Lots of interesting stuff. We'll 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 have to we'll have to wait and see, of course, um, how it all how it all plays out exactly. I think um, I, I suspect the next few months will be um, a busy period for um, all of us, just trying to keep on on, on track of um, both the consequences of yesterday's budget and also the the preparations and announcements around the forthcoming Scottish budget. Um, so thanks, David um, and Mary, for joining this podcast. Lots more to come from us through our website, through our social media, and through this podcast throughout the rest of the year as we gear up to that Scottish Budget debate um, and beyond. So thank you, everyone, for joining for this episode. And a reminder that you can subscribe to this podcast through the major podcast platforms and also sign up to our newsletter via the um, Praise of Ireland website, praiseofirelandor.org and through our social media channels, including um, Twitter, LinkedIn, and so on.